speaking. No. <laughs> you know, I thought, okay, we'll do this this morning. And I thought, what if I didn't give them enough time? Maybe it needs to be two minutes. Then I thought, well, what if they don't say anything? What if it's quiet, you know, and we start the timer and it's like, I think it works out good. So, well, welcome this morning. Glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter 6 of Matthew, and we're going to be looking at verses... 19 to 34 this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get a Bible right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 34 this morning. Anybody else need a Bible? Richard's up. He's got two in his hand. If he tries to sell them to you, don't don't pay for them. They're free. (laughs) A dollar? (laughs) All right. Jesus speaking begins in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of, not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The title of my message this morning is, Where is your treasure? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we could gather together this morning. Lord, just the joy it is to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, to be able to just open up our hearts and praise to you and then just enter into that time of digging into your word. We pray, Lord, that you would give us open ears to receive all that you have to say to us today. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, that they would do so this morning. They would see their need for you and they would repent of their sin and become born again today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that you give it to change our lives. Bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, I read a story about a pirate and a sailor who was exchanging stories, and the sailor pointed to the pirate's peg leg and asked, How did you get that? Well, the pirate said, Aye, I wrestled the shark and lost my leg. The seller pointed to the pirate's hook and asked, How did you get that? The pirate said, Aye, I fought Redbeard's crew and lost my hand. The seller pointed to the pirate's eye patch and asked, How did you get that? The pirate said, Aye, a bird came by and left droppings in me eye. The seller said, Well, that's not as impressive as the other two. Aye, the pirate answered, It was my first day with the hook. <laughs> get it? So how does that tie into our study this morning? (laughs) Whenever you hear the word treasure, what do you think of? Some pirate, right? A buried treasure, X marks the spot. Well, here in chapter 6, Jesus asks us where that X is placed, so to speak. He says in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the main theme of the Sermon on the Mount. It's to answer the question, where is my heart? Is my heart seeking after self or after a real vibrant relationship with God? Jesus here directly addresses the heart by asking the question, where is your treasure? I think of the movie The Pirates of the Caribbean. Jack Sparrow, Captain Jack, has a compass. And it's no ordinary compass, you know. Uh, Rather than pointing north, it points to whatever the person holding it wants the most. It might be a treasure or a person or a location, but it only works if the person holding it knows what they want. But Captain Jack is self-centered as he is, doesn't really know what he wants, and so the compass doesn't always work for him. So then in the second Pirates movie, when he's trying to find the chest containing the the still-beating heart of Davy Jones, giving the new meaning to where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, I guess, but (laughs) pretty gross. Jack can't get a heading uh, from his compass. So he convinces, convinces Elizabeth that finding the chest will re- reunite her with her true love. And because her heart is more certain at that moment than his, they get the heading and they go and they continue on their journey. So the question is, what is your treasure? If you were holding Captain Jack's compass, where would the needle be pointing? What is the thing you want most more than anything in all the world? There's a a lot of things out there that's vying for our heart. The Spirit teaches us that the heart is a control center for life. A person's life is a reflection of their heart. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to watch over your heart with all diligence. From, From in it flows the springs of life. That verse is very graphic. The heart, you know, is as a well from which all the issues of life gush forth. Therefore, we must guard our hearts and watch over them so that our heart follows after follows hard after the things of God and is not distracted by the cares and things and concerns of this world. See, what are things that can change the course of our hearts? Well, wealth certainly can. Worry can change the course of our hearts. So what's the cure for wealth and worry? Well, I'd say worship is. And those are our three points this morning if you're taking notes. Wealth, worry, and worship. See, during Jesus' ministry on earth, he was surrounded by religious people. Some Sadducees, some Pharisees, men who looked very religious on the outside, but who in their hearts were serving money uh, rather than, and serving themselves rather than God. And so Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter here with those who truly want to follow him and showing us that there has to be some changes in the way we think in our lives. And the first thing he wants to show us is, is regard to, to number one, wealth. 
Jesus is asking us to change our mind about wealth. Look at verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it begins by saying in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This could literally be translated to lay up something horizontally as in storing it permanently. Understand this verse is not saying that it's wrong to save your money or to invest your money or, or to have money. What this is saying is that it's wrong to be accumulating possessions for the mere sake of just accumulating possessions, to have more and more. More specifically, to accumulate things to flaunt and impress others. You know, you got people out there, they're, they're, they're driving these luxury expensive cars just to impress others, you know, or they wear designer clothes just to impress others, and they make sure you see the logo to let you know I have this expensive whatever, and, and, and then people like that, you know, they, they, they always want to tell you what they paid for everything, even if you don't care what they paid for anything, even if they don't ask you. Yeah, oh, that's a nice car. Yeah, it is. I pay this much for it. Uh, it's nice. I pay this much for my house. I don't care. I don't care. But they want you to know. Why? Because they want you to be impressed. They want you to think that this person has it all together and is successful. This person has accomplished their goals. Jesus is saying, don't accumulate things just to accumulate them. Certainly don't do it in a way to flaunt or impress other people. Now, Jesus is not teaching against a person being blessed with material things. He's not teaching against having nice things. Nothing wrong with having a luxury car, nice designer clothes. He's not teaching against having wealth. He's not teaching against having money. In fact, uh, of the many instructions he gave, there's only one time in Scripture that, that he told an individual to sell his possessions and give them to the poor. That was a rich young ruler. Remember his story? And the reason he did that is because he knew that this particular man was possessed by his possessions. And sadly, the man failed the test and went away sorrowful because he would not make that sacrifice for the Lord. He had an unwillingness to part with his wealth. The Lord did not tell all of his disciples to do the same thing. The point Jesus is making here is to keep things in perspective, recognizing that everything we have comes from from him and he has provided it for you with a purpose in mind. James 1.17 tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of life with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Okay, Jesus is not condemning having a savings account. The Bible even commends the ant for the strong for storing the summer food it will need in the winter. In, in Proverbs 6.6 6 it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. And save up. They prepare for the future. Also, the Bible tells us we need to provide for our families. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. See, that there is a balance where we can enjoy what God has given us without making it our primary ambition and goal, and at the same time recognizing that we have a responsibility with what God has given to us. God has given to you and I so that we should give to others. In fact, we're commanded in Scripture as Christians to be generous. And He commands us to be thankful and enjoy the blessings that we have. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need 
for our enjoyment. Again, there's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has given to you. Say, Lord, thank you for this. I'm so thankful that you've given it to me. It's wonderful. I know I have a responsibility and I don't want to, to put my trust in these things. And I know, Lord, that these, these things are just temporary. In fact, that's what Jesus says in verse 19. He says, moth and rust will destroy them. You know, nothing in the ancient world uh, was safe. Rats and mice would, would get into the stored grain. Worms would get into anything that was put into the ground. Thieves would break into homes and steal whatever was kept there. Moths would come in and eat the person's clothes. So Jesus is saying, don't put your hope in those things. They're all going to pass away. They're, they're fleeting and unfulfilling. Don't long to be rich. It's dangerous. In fact, he tells us that in 1 Timothy 6, 9. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Well, next Jesus talks about the result of this, about light and darkness. When it comes to our heart is that. Look at verse 22. It says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? See, the, the eye is a channel through which illumination comes. If you have an evil eye, your whole body is going to be full of darkness. In fact, Proverbs 28:22 tells us, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. Again, it's not wrong to have things, but if you live for things, your eye is evil and, and, and uh, your life will be dark. You might say, well, what should I do? Well, Jesus is saying, don't be ambitious for wealth, for riches. Instead, take what God has blessed you, with, blessed you with and lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Well, how do I do that? Well, one of the ways that we do that is by investing in spiritual things. Investing in the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Luke 16, 9, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. So when you invest in the ministry here at the church, we then take your investment and we invest in, in, in ministries throughout the world. You know, kind of like a, a church stockbroker, I guess. You know, when you see people coming forward at a harvest crusade, thousands of people in some big stadium, you invested in that. You laid up for yourself treasures in heaven because we as a church, we invest in that. When you hear of, of the needs being met at an orphanage in India with aged children in it, you're storing up treasures in heaven because we as a church invest in that. When you hear about uh, Victory Mission meeting the needs of the homeless in Springfield, you are a part of that because we invest in that. Same with the Pregnancy Care Center. And, and, and I know you folks, you, you give in the works of ministry all over the place. You're investing in that. That's investing in heaven. You're going to receive an internal reward. That's the idea here. I like what Pastor John Corson says about giving. He says, giving is not God's way to raise cash. It's God's way to raise kids. Every time I give, I'm giving away part of my stinginess and part of my selfishness. God doesn't need my money. He wants my heart. And he knows wherever my treasure is, that's where my heart will be. Now, Jesus does give a warning when it comes to wealth. Look at verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or our money. It's a very powerful and pivotal point in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I would say this verse is really the, the climax of the Sermon on the Mount. This, this, this verse asks the all-important question, who are you serving? 
That word serve here means to, to, to be a slave to. People often think they can have the best of both worlds, both, both on earth, serving themselves, riches, living it up, and later down the road in the future, which would be heaven. Jesus is saying that's not the way it works. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve money and God. You can't serve popularity and God. You can't serve yourself and God. We can only have one master. Jesus is challenging us to look at the whole Sermon on the Mount, challenging, challenging us to repent, to change our mind about earthly treasures, about the things we formerly served, and to serve Him only. You can't serve two masters, no matter how hard you try. One's going to lose out. And most of the time, in most cases, it'll be God. It's like the story I read about a farmer who one day told his wife with great joy that his best cow had given birth to twin calves, one red and one white. He said, you know, I've been led of the Lord to dedicate one of the calves to him. We'll raise them together. Then when the time comes to sell them, we'll keep the proceeds from one calf and we'll give the proceeds that come from the other for the Lord's work. Well, his wife asked, you know, which calf he was going to dedicate to the Lord. But he answered that there was no need to decide at that point. We'll just treat them both in the same way. And when the time comes, we'll sell them as I've said. Well, several months later, the man entered the kitchen looking very sad and miserable. When his wife asked him what the trouble was, he said, well, I have bad news for you. The Lord's calf is dead. But the wife said, but you had not decided which was to be the Lord's calf. Oh, yeah, I had always determined that it was going to be the white one and the white calf, but that's the one that dies. You know, it's always the Lord's calf that dies. Unless we're absolutely clear about our service to Him and about the true nature of our possessions. We're not to serve two masters, but to serve Christ and Christ alone. You see, you're going to have conflict in your life if you're trying to live in two worlds. If your primary ambition is material things, and, and then you try to make your primary ambition the things of God, it's just not going to work. You need to make a decision. Now, why is it so hard to make a decision? Well, it brings us to our next point, worry. Because we worry about everything. Oh, worry about money, worried about finances. I'm sure if you did a, a man-on-the-street type of interview and you asked people what they worry about, you would get a list a mile long. Well, I worry about the economy and I worry about losing my job. And I think people worry about everything. It's like the story I read about a, a very nervous airline passenger pacing back and forth in the terminal because the weather is really bad, delayed his flight. Well, during his walk, he came across a life insurance machine. They used to have these back then, but it offered $100,000 in the event of an untimely death aboard his flight. Well, the policy was just $3. Well, he looked out the window, saw the terrible weather, the threatening clouds, and thought of his family at home. And, and so for that price, it would be foolish not to buy it. So he took out the coverage. He then looked for a place to eat. And, and these airports now have a lot of good places to eat. So he settled on his favorite Chinese food. Had his relaxing meal and until he opened up his fortune cookie and it read, Your recent investment will pay big dividends. Now, I'm sure none of you worry about anything. You haven't got a care in the world. Do you know that scientists say that in a billion years or so, our sun will burn out and turn earth into a lifeless ball of ice? Are you worried about that? Of course not. You'll be dead anyway, as well as everyone you know, so you don't worry about it because there's not a chance it's going to happen in your lifetime. But oddly enough, they're, they're not... Though not many people worry about the world turning into a giant ice ball, a lot of us spend our days worrying about things that, that 
aren't as remote as an ice ball, but are certainly still way down the road on the probability list. Worry is a good indication of where our priorities are. We worry about what concerns us the most. And if our treasures are stored up here on earth, then it brings us all sorts of concern about holding on to those treasures. Now, many people think that worry is respectable, that it's okay to worry. But do you know that it's actually sinful to worry? Do you realize that? It's funny how quickly we, we admit to, to being worried, but we never admit to lusting or overeating or many other sins. But we say, oh, I'm a little bit worried. What you're saying is, I'm a little bit sinning. Which is really no, no way of a, a, a big sin or a little sin. Sin is sin. It's missing God's mark. But the good news is, God has given us in his word a way that we might win over this sin of worry. And he lets us know in these remaining verses here. Because our God is loving and going to compassionate God. And here he is with us. He knows about the struggles that we go through. And he knows the things that we worry about. We worry about life. Why? Because life is tough. So we worry. We worry about the future. We worry many times, honestly, because we don't know what the future holds. We worry because there are things that happen in our life that we have no control over. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, think about it. Doctors get sick and they know an awful lot about health. Financial experts lose money in the stock markets. Policemen are robbed. Lawyers are sued. Good, loving, responsible, respected parents are rejected by their teenage and adult children. We eat right, we, we exercise, we move into a good neighborhood, we send our kids to a good school, we do everything we can, but that doesn't mean the results will be under our control. Because often they're not. When we're out of control and life is hard and the future is uncertain, we tend to worry. So what do we do? How do we cope with worry? How do we win against this, 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 this sin of worry that tends to drag us down and cause all kinds of problems physically and emotionally? Let me give you three, three clues. First of all, Jesus tells us that we need to recognize, number one, worry is a waste of time and energy and it accomplishes nothing. Look at verse 27. He says, Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now, a cubit is about 18 inches. How many of you have grown 18 inches taller worrying about how short you are? You know, I, I think I can go 18 inches wider worrying about how heavy I am, but, but not, not taller. The bottom line is worrying doesn't help us out. In fact, worrying can often cause the opposite effect. Have you ever heard of a man named Dr. Charles Mayo? He started a little clinic called the Mayo Clinic. He said something interesting, and I quote, Worry affects your circulation, your heart, your glands, your nervous system. I've never met a man or known anyone who has died from working too much, but I've known plenty who have died from worrying too much. I mean, think about, it. think about this. If you're worried about losing your hair and you sit around rubbing your head all the time and worry, guess what? You're going to rub your hair off. You worry about getting sick. Recent studies show that, that worrying actually suppresses your immune system and makes it more likely that you will become sick. If you're worried about, worried about gaining weight, then you'll probably eat more because you're constantly worrying about food. It's always on your mind. Maybe some of you are thinking about that right now. You know, we're told in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. See, there's only one thing that worry does, and it brings, it, that is it brings you down. The energy that we use in worrying is such a waste. It's like rocking in a rocking chair. You're going and you're going and you're going, but you're not going anywhere. No, no forward progress. 
So Jesus tells us, number one, we need to recognize that worrying accomplishes nothing. It can't add any good thing in your life. Number two, we need to realize that God cares about us deeply. You need to know that you matter to God. God is with us. God is for us. God didn't create this world to sit back and watch the show. We're not simply action figures in God's program. He's intimately and ultimately concerned with each and every one of us, and He's actively involved in love and providing for and caring for your needs. In fact, we read it here, we see how much God values us even above His creation. If God cares for the birds and He adorns the flowers with such beauty, don't you know that He can take care of you? Then the third thing we need to know is that we need to adjust the priorities that we have. A lot of times we worry because we're focused on ourselves. We're focused on the wrong things. That's why Jesus says in verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. In other words, we often worry because our priorities are in the wrong place. Jesus says, don't worry about food. Perhaps right now, Food may be on your mind. You're kind of plotting and planning because up until this time, you're pretty much bored with the study. And so now you're thinking about, where am I going to eat after service? Now, some of you may be in deep prayer that, that I don't go long because you hate the line in the restaurants. And if Second Baptist gets out before we get out and they get to the restaurant first, then I'm going to, I just may pass out of my chair. I'm so hungry right now. Jesus says, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you drink. Wrong priorities. He goes on in verse 25. He says, don't worry about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. I mean, we worry about things like clothing, Jesus says here. Some of you, perhaps this very morning, walked into your walk-in closet and said, I don't have anything to wear. And you were worried about it. Now you have a walk-in closet, okay? I mean, shelves... Lined up to the ceiling, you know. I mean, if you have nothing to wear, something's wrong there. I mean, if you have a walk-in closet, you should have something to wear. Now, you may want something new to wear, or maybe your worry is, did I wear this last week? That happens to me. See, I don't want to wear the same thing two weeks in a row because it might give the wrong message. You might think that, that the poor pastor only has one outfit and, and that, you know, we've got to dig a little deeper to help the, the pastor buy, you know, more clothes and have two outfits. Definitely the wrong message. I don't want you to think that. So I asked my wife, honey, did I wear this last week? Guess what she says? I don't remember. And I worry that she doesn't care about what I wore last week. But we worry. We worry about clothing and Jesus says not to. Jesus says in verse 25, we're not to worry about your life. We do that, don't we? When will I die? How will I die? You know, many of us will watch those programs on TV that have those health segments and they talk about the latest disease or the latest bacteria found on some lettuce or, or the next potential plague and it's deadly. And they go through the list of symptoms and it's kind of like sneaks up on you and, and the symptoms start with a fever and then as you go through the list, suddenly you start to think about it. I mean, you're feeling great before you watch this program. But then as you slip off after the show's over and you're headed for your bedroom, you go, well, you know, I'm feeling a little feverish. I did eat some of that stuff earlier today. And you say, honey, do I feel warm? And she says, how should I know? I don't even know what you wore last Sunday to church. And then you realize one of the symptoms is the loss of memory. And you think, oh, maybe my wife has this disease and I must have it because I don't remember what the first symptom was. And I'm in trouble. And you crawl in the bed. Now your heart's pounding 
and you're tossing and turning and you lay there and you can't sleep because you're convinced that you're probably not going to wake up in the morning because you have this dreaded disease. And you start wondering as you look over to your beautiful wife and you wonder, I wonder who Lisa will marry after I'm dead. I hope she finds someone good and not some jerk. And you roll over in bed and you say to her, you better not go out with that guy. I'm telling you right now. And you better grieve for me for a little bit. You better not bring a date to the funeral. And your wife says, what is wrong with you? Well, I'm planning my funeral. Why? You're not even sick. What are you doing? Well, I was just thinking. No, you're not thinking. You're worrying. And tomorrow when you wake up in the morning, you're going to have that I didn't get much sleep look on your face and, and you're tossing and tur- turning and you're in turmoil. Jesus says, if you're in that place, stop it. Stop. Don't worry about your life. Then he gives this great illustration in verse 26. He says, consider the birds. He says, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I mean, think about the birds. When was the last time you saw a bird sweat? You know, I don't know where I'm going to get a worm today. I can't find a single worm. There's no worms anywhere. When was the last time you saw a bird carrying a little basket in its beak to to a bird feeder? I got to store this up. I got to save some. You know, there's not much around. You don't see that. Jesus is saying, hey, the birds aren't worried. They're not wondering where they're going to get their next meal. The Father takes care of them. How much more is He going to take care of you? He goes on in verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And look at the beautiful flowers in God's creation. The lilies, the the roses, the pansies, incredible beauty, the, the colors and some of these flowers, incredible. Jesus says Solomon and all his wealth, all of his glory was not as beautiful as one of these. He could not produce the beauty of a flower. And they die and they're thrown into the fire and burn. But they're not, they're not toiling. They're not worried. They're not tormented. They're not sweating it out. Gotta bloom, gotta bloom, gotta bloom. I'm gonna bloom. I don't know if I'm gonna bloom. It's not noisy in the greenhouse at night, you know. You don't, don't hear the flowers. Got to get this color on me, uh, this purple. You don't hear fruit trees in the backyard going, I got to produce, poof, oh, I got an apple, poof, got another apple. Do you say, look, wake up, people, pay attention. Consider the birds, consider the plants. They're not sweating it, they're not toiling. The Father takes care of them. And if the Father takes care of them, guess what? He's going to take care of you. That's what Jesus says next in verses 30 and 31. He says, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, verse 31, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the non-believers toiling and worrying and working, spending all of their energy, all of their, their, their money trying to gain things for themselves materially, worried that it might be taken away from them. Don't be that way. Spend your time and energy with the right priorities. You see, the things that we should be most concerned about are the things that matter most. So we need to adjust our priorities to put first things first, getting us the right perspective as a result. What are they? 
uh, brings us to our final point. Number three, worship. Paul the Apostle gives us a really good key in overcoming worship in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. Paul writes, it's up on the screen, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you get that? Don't panic. Pray. Don't worry. Worship. See, Paul is saying, stop your worrying. And he doesn't just say stop worrying. He doesn't just say stop thinking negatively, think positive. He doesn't say that. He says stop worrying and start worshiping. Stop panicking and start praying. Pray about it. He says, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you want your peace in your life instead of worry? Then give all your worry to God. Jesus puts it this way. Look in verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what's the result? All these things shall be added to you. That word seek there means to seek earnestly. Now there's a difference in the way that we seek things. Sometimes I may be looking for something, but but sometimes I I may not want to find them. Maybe you have a dog that ran away and you never really liked that dog in the first place and your wife tells you to go look for the dog and you come back five minutes later and say, I looked, he's gone. I can't find him. Let's say you lost $100 in your house. There's a $100 bill. Three hours later, you're still looking for that $100. You're searching diligently. That's the idea of seeking first the kingdom of God. Not just casually. Not if you have time every now and then. They work it into your schedule. It's diligently with an effort. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's important. If you seek things, you'll, you'll, you'll never get them. You'll never get enough. You'll never be satisfied. But if you seek God's kingdom first, and put that as a high priority in your life, then guess what happens? Everything else will be taken care of. Everything else will be handled. Whatever I am looking at, I ask the question, how does the kingdom come into this? How does this apply to what the Bible is teaching me? Always comes back to that. If you're single, how can I find that right person? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Don't you think that God cares about that? Don't you think he knows that you want a husband or you want a wife to spend your life with? Well, how's it going to happen? Well, well, it's going to happen by you waiting on the Lord. Yeah, you take practical steps, get to know people, develop relationships, but ultimately, ultimately it comes from God. If you want to have success in your business, seek first the kingdom of God. That means, you, yeah, you need to work hard, you need to be competitive. You need to be careful how you, you, you run things. You want to have the finest quality. You want to, you know, uh, work on all of the practical issues. You're going to say, I'm going to run my business right. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to distort the truth. I'm not going to take uh, advantage of people. We're going to run the business with integrity. But ultimately, the success comes from God. When you're are in ministry, you want to do it for God's glory, seeking first His kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the entry point to the kingdom of God is being born again. Well, what is the kingdom? It's simply the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in your life. He's king, his rule over your life. 
don't need to mystify this. It's simply being under the rule and reign of Christ. We're told in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. In the context, it's not keeping rules and regulations there. It's about God's rule in your life, which results in righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. God's rule in your life, peace comes in, worry goes away. Seek first, principally, above everything else, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in your life. Finally, Jesus finishes up chapter 6 with verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't you have enough trouble to, to keep you busy in one day? You know, enough trouble in one day to spend your energy on? Quit worrying about what's going to happen in the future. Instead, we need to trust in the Lord. Quit trusting in our own ability. I mean, think about this. What if your children walked around as we do sometimes before God? How would you feel as a parent? What if your children said, well, Mom, Dad, you know, I'm kind of worried about dinner tonight. Are we going to have food? You know, I, I, you know, I got school tomorrow. I'm kind of worried about clothes. You know, I got something. You know, I'm kind of worried about our house here. Are, you know, are we going to be able to eat today? What are we going to do? No, they don't worry about those things. They don't. Why? Because they trust you. They trust that you're going to provide for them. They know and believe that when you say, I love you, they believe it. And they believe that you're going to take care of them. How much more should we believe our Heavenly Father that He will take care of us? Yeah, we don't know the future, but we know who holds our future. And the question this morning is, how long will you go on when you're faced with temptation to worry before you move from that place of worry and panicking to the place of prayer? How long will it take? Hopefully over the years, the gap has gotten smaller and smaller and decreased. So you get to the point when you get older that you say, Lord, I'm not worried. I should be worried, but I'm not. Maybe I should, but, but I know it's a sin to worry and I'm just trusting in you. I'm just putting it all before your throne and I know you take care of the flowers. You take care of uh, the birds. You are going to take care of me. Why worry? It's a waste of energy. May God help us to win over worry. Now finally, as we close, there's actually one thing you should worry about. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you better worry. You better worry. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, repented of your sin and are born again, you should worry because uh, Jesus is not your Savior. A Savior is one that saves you from something. Jesus is a Savior that saved us from our sin. He saved us from the penalty of, of our sin. By going to the cross, Jesus took every sin we've ever committed upon Himself. The guilt, the shame. And by being saved, it means that we can... We, uh, we uh, accept what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We surrender our hearts and life to Him. But if you don't do that, then you have to pay for your sin. And the Bible tells us that, that everyone that rejects Jesus Christ, they're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth where the worm dies not, the, 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 the thirst is never quenched. Horrible place. If you're here and you're not a Christian this morning, that should worry you. But as I said, the, the way to overcome worry is, is by coming to Jesus. Confessing your sin, turning from it, turning to Jesus Christ, being born again. If you do that, then you absolutely have nothing to worry about. As soon as service is over, uh, we're going to have the elders up front. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you want to be born again today, you want to have 
not the worry of what happens in your future. Come forward. Let us pray with you, share with you, tell you what it means to follow Jesus Christ, and we'll give you a Bible. Uh, For the rest of us, whatever it is that you're worrying about, give it to the Lord. He loves you. He'll take care of you. Bring it before his throne, knowing that he loves you more than you can even imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your love, your provision, your protection, your plan for our lives, Lord, that we know that you know what's best for us. And Lord, for those of us that have worry, I know we all have. Father, we just want to take all our cares, our concerns, and place them before your feet. Your word tells us to cast all our cares on you because you care for us. Lord, help us to trust you more, to love you better, to serve you with greater capacities, Lord, that we might honor you in all that we do, Lord. Our finances, our attitudes, our our works, the things that we do, everything we do, Lord, that we might bring honor to you. Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Not because we want everything else added to us, Lord, but because we love you. And we thank you for all that you've done. But Lord, what a benefit it is that you take care of us as we seek first your kingdom. So Lord, we pray that you'd bless our week, Lord, as we go our way. Strengthen us to live for you, to be that witness in a dark world. Help us to cast again all our cares on you. Help us to to go out, Lord, with joy and peace that passes understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand on